Welcome to the Interim Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work and innovation. Today's Interim Whisperer Employer Tip of the Week is, if you're paying your intern as a contractor, be sure to explain to them how to complete the 1099 form and that they need to set aside 20% of their contractor payments so they have that if they have to pay any taxes when they file their tax returns. That is an important tip because you don't want them to spend all that money and then get caught with, oh no. Well, anyway, we have Jordan Dobble, owner and founder of Simblocks, and Barbara Cotter, who is going to be a ball of fun on this show. So welcome Jordan and Barbara to the Interim Whisperer. Thank you. Great to be here. All right, so quick question. I'm gonna be asking everybody and also to my left is, Axel Aponte, his face is right there on screen. He's <laughs> waving to everybody. All right, Star Wars or Star Trek, and why? Me? So all right. Actually, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. Oh no, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. So for me, I actually grew up watching Star Trek. So I would prefer Star Trek because um, I just grew up watching it. Star Wars. Yeah. Um, now it's actually getting more popular. So. Maybe now, I guess, up before more Star Wars, because Star Trek is now, I guess, behind the ball game. Okay, we're going on to the next one. This <laughs> isn't a long question, it's short. Jordan, Star Wars, Star Trek, which one? Yeah, Star Trek. All right, any reason? No reason. I am a Star Trek person also. Barbara? Uh, for me, Star Wars, I grew up with it, but I'm not so much anymore with all the dumb politics now with disney ah too bad okay. disney disney's ruining it <laughs> maybe but it could be other reasons so covid19 has given us a lot of uh, reasons to rethink about innovation and development and uh, i think because of all of this having to be remote we're seeing a lot more interest in virtual reality simulation all different types of ways that we can engage remotely and it carries over into that training arena. So we're gonna start off our show and kick it off with Jordan first, and then we'll go to Barbara. Um, so tell our listeners what your educational background is, Jordan, and a little bit of how you got your first job. Hey everybody, yep, so I'm Jordan. I'm a software developer, uh, and I also am the owner of a, of a small business called Simblocks. Uh, we're located in, in Orlando, Florida. My personal background is I, I studied at uh, Purdue University, grew up in Indiana, uh, came down and worked in Atlanta for a while and then made, made my way down to Orlando. So I've worked for several companies who are in like the military simulation space who, who build virtual training systems. And later on, I had an opportunity to start this company where we, we support that market and other markets who want to take advantage of you know, using commercial game engine technology uh, as core components of their training systems. That is very interesting. And you said some magic words in there, game engine. So that's significant. How about you, Barbara? Where'd you go to school, your degree? How'd you get started in software development? I'm gonna assume. I went to uh, the Osceola County School for the Arts, six through 12. Uh, so I did a lot actually more with music. And I originally double majored in music and biomedical computer engineering, ended up switching. It's a long story, but I ended up getting um, my degree at my AA at Valencia. 
uh, in music performance in both voice and percussion. And then at UCF, I ended up getting actually my degree in interdisciplinary studies. I do recommend it if you don't really know what to do uh, because this degree in particular, it's kind of a new field. You kind of pretty much make your own degree. Uh, yeah. You pick two main areas, uh, go down uh, and study those and then take you pick a minor then to be attached to it. So you're pretty much getting skills in different areas and incorporating it and being able to have more, it's like, you know, jack of all trades kind of thing. Yeah, so you become, um, it's like independent study, but you're choosing the career path that you wanna go. It's not actually independent study. It is actually a program that you have to follow. There is an entrance uh, course for interdisciplinary studies and an exit course. My two main areas were arts, uh, computational sciences, and then a minor in intelligent robotic systems. Oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, just so you know, I actually do know what it is because Axel is from that same program, but I've been working with UCF and had five years of students from that program. Um, when I was saying it's like an independent study, it's to me, it's you're creating your own custom career path instead of having- Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I meant by that. Anyway, but I'm really glad that you shared for all of our listeners because now they'll know what UCF has to offer. What was your first job, Jordan? Where did you get started? We have here Microsoft. So what's the story about Microsoft here? Sure. So the, you know, my first job out of college was uh, at a company called Firearms Training Systems uh, in Atlanta. But, uh, you know, prior to that, I mean, I worked I worked at Burger King for a while. I worked at a box factory. You know, those were awesome jobs, mm -hmm. uh, just as like summer internship things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're asking about about Microsoft. Yep. So I, I was working at, at a. I was working for Havoc for a couple of years. They were setting up a an office in Orlando to support you know some of their U.S. customers um, in the military simulation space. You know, they, they were well known, you know, prior to that and, and probably still more for the work they've done, you know, supporting the games industry with their, their physics libraries and other, other libraries. Yeah, they had a cool operation here. Uh, uh, eventually, Microsoft acquired um, that business from Havoc. And so I kind of had an opportunity to, to decide whether I want to go out to the West Coast or, you know, start this company. Are you a veteran by chance? I'm not, no. So that's interesting that you chose a, a career and an industry to work with that is not your area of specialty. Did you have to learn how mm -hmm. to talk? Um, it's very technical and it's very specific in the space of you know each branch of the military. You know when you when you study a very uh, technical field, something like computer science, right, where you have to you're, you're graduate at knowing how to do a lot of really cool things, but not necessarily understanding the domain of the industry that you're working in. You know, you, you need to put some effort in to learn that. And so whether that's military simulation or, or something else, which is why at our company, you know, we, we like to work with a lot of interns coming out of UCF, let them apply some of the skills they've learned, you know, using programming, programming languages like C++ or C Sharp but also kind of slowly get them up to speed, you know, with some of the tools that are used in this industry, 
the standards that are used, slowly introduce them to the many, many acronyms <laughs> that they will come across in their jobs. And so, so the interns that have come through our company and, and gotten jobs at larger businesses, you know, I think that's been helpful for them. And we've also been able to hire um, several uh, developers um, full-time as well as um, uh, transition people like uh, Barbara to, you know, associate roles. So. Oh, that's very, very good. I find that the military, you definitely need to know quite a bit of the jargon that they speak. And that's, I think, a bit of a learning curve. My dad was in the Air Force as a, a pilot, and my brother is in the Army. And so there is very specific language that they use. So they can probably tell that I do not know their industry as well when I talk with them. Yeah. Anyway, just wondering about that. Okay, so Simblox, where did the name come from? When did you start it? You know, what's the startup story? Because you and I also went through Starter Studio. It was called Canvas at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when this all got, got the, when it all began and, and, you know, I have been going to, you know, a few sessions around town, you know, there are a number of organizations who were kind of help uh, upcoming entrepreneurs think about, you know, what it, what should go into starting a business. Uh, but yeah, I was fortunate around, around that time to get into Starter Studio, which, yeah, they now call their ideation phase accelerator. So that was a three-month program in downtown Orlando where, you know, they, they walked us through the business model canvas and how to do customer discovery and, and, and the culmination of all that. And this is all part of a cohort as well with other entrepreneurs. But the, the, the culmination was a presentation at the uh, Dr. Phillips Center uh, downtown, which was a really cool event. I did Not that just one too. It was, yep. It's yep. Cool. Great, great time. <laughs> so, it, you know, it introduced our company to, to the community, but we also made some connections uh, coming out of there where we were then able to work with a professor and some students from his class in the up upcoming semester, our very first employee uh, came out of that class. So yeah, I can tie, I can tie a lot of things back to that original um, starter studio effort and, and demonstration. Did you also go through UCF's I-Corps program? Yeah. So at, at that time, you know, we had, we had received an I-Corps grant through starter studio. Um, and so that was the primary grant funding that our, our teams received in that cohort. Yeah, I also got the ability to go through the I-Corps program. It was truly a, a gift, I think. I used that money to go to Lisbon, Portugal and do customer mm -hmm. discovery there to see, would my product have global appeal? And it did. And then I met someone <laughs> who get into NASDAQ's program. So sometimes you go halfway around the world and it creates another door. So mm -hmm. did you, um, what did your customer discovery turn up with when you were doing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, I know that's one of your favorite things to do is go talk with people that you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what so what Isabel is referring to, right, is, you know, not not every entrepreneur starts out, you know, uh, being very social and like wanting to engage with with um, potential customers. But it's really something you have to kind of pick up, you know, no matter what your background is. So um, yeah, so we interviewed a number of, of experts around town. Some of those people are, are I'm still in communication with, you know, as informal advisors. After 
finishing the Star Wars Studio program, we were accepted into the UCF uh, Business Incubation Program, which uh, you know, which then gave us some some office space, and, and we were able to be located right uh, on the east side of Orlando, at really the heart of the the modeling and simulation community. So you know, we're 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 we are where we need to be, and definitely have been engaging with a lot of potential customers both in Orlando and, and around the world now uh, with customers contacting us uh, about our products and services. Where did the name Simblock you, come from then? Yeah, did I forget to answer that? So Simblock, <laughs> <laughs> I think at one point I had heard the phrase building blocks for simulation, right? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of like what I want to build, um, building blocks to help our customers utilize commercial gaming technologies support the standards that we have to support in, in our industry. So, you know, SimBlocks, right? Uh, and I don't know, somewhere I had seen IO was like the trendy tech thing to do. So SimBlocks.io, it's our website. Yeah. Over there, it's awesome. That is, that's a, that's a good story. I thought it had something to do with Legos. I was thinking, I think you have a child, so it's fine, it had to do with blocks because kids play blocks. Uh, nonetheless, it's yep. an interesting story. What is the hardest part about having your own business, Jordan? Yeah, no, it's definitely a learning experience. Uh, and I think you have to have the mindset of, you know, wanting to get out of your comfort zone and, you know, pick up some new skills and like to struggle, you know, with either, either learning something or using some new tool or being presented with information that you don't understand and then you gotta you gotta figure out how to how to understand it so yeah so you, you, as as the company grows and as you have more opportunities you know the number of hats you have to wear just gets it just increases so you have to plan you have to segment your time and and try to be efficient and um, you know we've, we've been fortunate we now have uh, a, a growing team which means i can offload some things uh, but you still have to stay on top of how, how that work is distributed and, and make sure it all gets executed. How many employees do you have? So we have a team of 10 uh, people. Wow. Currently. Yeah. Congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. So what is the best part of having your own business? I, I guess most people want to start a business, right? Because they want to have more freedom uh, as far as how they spend their time and what projects they want to go after, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, if you want to be successful, you also need to adopt the, the mindset of wanting to serve your customers, which means when you start your business, you need to be always thinking about, okay, which, which markets should I be going after and what are their needs and, and how can I, you know, reach them and, and, you know, set up, set up meetings so that you can, you know, build a relationship. So all those things need to be top of mind. And so, yeah, I mean, regardless of how, how it all began, you know, it all, <laughs> you have to, you have to, you know, adopt that, uh, that strategy. Yeah. You definitely have to like people <laughs> when you're in business for yourself, because that's who, you know, is paying you. That's for sure. And you have to be okay with to any suggestions they have on, you know, what you could do better. That's another one. That's for sure. What I, the reason why I started my business is because I didn't want to keep working by myself. I wanted a, a team of people to work with, and I wanted a sense of something bigger than just myself, like creating something that is actually out there to solve a big problem and having a team of people. So I look forward to the day that I get to have 10. I actually 
told Joe, he's my software developer, said, okay, two weeks ago, I said, you can quit your job. You're the first employee in the company. So he was pretty excited about that and just, you know, taking it on and, and running with it. So that's mm -hmm. not always about, I, I don't know about you, but I put in probably 18 hour days, pretty sure. It's about that every day. So it doesn't seem like um, sometimes I'll go, hey, what day is this? You know, I'm not sure. Just because of the amount of work. You don't work less. You work more when you have your own business. It's true. Yeah, definitely true. But I can honestly say I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I do mm -hmm. what I do. So the um, industries that you work with, can we let Barbara have a shot at this one? Yeah, let's go for it. It's a test and see what she knows. Oh, and by the way, Jordan, your headphones, you look like Princess Leia because you've got the little <laughs> buns on your head. And because of your green screen right behind you when you turn, it's like a <laughs> Do you want me to change my background? I've got another one. Oh, no. Just <laughs> I know what the other one was. <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> So Barbara, industries, what are the industries that you guys play in? Real estate, uh, military, gaming, training, different types of training. Are you guys in healthcare? We are not. So I signed up to be a um, part, I'm a, I'm a sponsor of the Serious Play Conference, but I'm also gonna be moderate, moderating a track. Last year I did the defense track this year, Sue put me, Sue Bole, who's also an intern pursuit customer, put me in the healthcare one. I went, that's great. That's one of the industries I want to meet people in so I can see if I can start getting some business with those industries. Oh, but I do remember Jordan built, I don't remember, we were built, you built a demo for the coronavirus. For oh, nice. the, it was, you're trying to display the, simulate the particles or the, the, was it the the cells? I'm not sure. You you're the one who made the project. You should probably elaborate on that. Yeah. Have you ever heard the game? term uh, like a like a one-off project, one-off demo? Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. So what what we were doing was showing different examples of things that we can build uh, with the Unity Game Engine. So this was a a simulation of how the coronavirus could transfer between uh, population. And so we, we had different agents within the Unity game engine and, and you could see based on different you know, colors over time, how, how, the, how the, the virus would spread through the population. Now this, this, that particular project was not um, all my idea. Um, I had taken a course at UCF that semester where we were, we were taught uh, various simulation methods and um, so we originally did that using a different tool. And then, uh, and then I, I created that unity demonstration as well. Was it that people were not washing their hands? Is it like that kind of a game or was it touching anything and how it spread? I saw some videos where um, on YouTube, it was actually, maybe it was Facebook, where nurses were going, okay, this is how you spread it. And they were touching their phone, touching their face, touching everything around them and boom, Corona virus was everywhere yeah it was it was very simplistic so each agent was represented as a sphere that would that would bounce around it looked and, like uh, bouncing balls the spheres would you know touch or get closer it was cool. yeah <laughs> huh and did they have different colors so you could tell them apart? Mm -hmm. okay 
Is it on your website by chance? Uh, I know we have a video of it somewhere. So I've asked Axel to have your website ready. He does, and he's going to share his screen. And while we're talking, we'll go ahead, have that on the side here so that people can see what it is that we're talking about. So what I like about your website, it says that he started to share, but it's taking a minute for it to connect. There we go. Yeah, so we can kind of see that. I think that what's great about your website is it's very, it has a truly a, you know, a defense sector a feel to it with the topography of the land. And then also, you know, the zooms out into the big world and then it goes in Google Maps, I guess, maybe. So you've got commercial and residential, and then it looks like uh, the defense all showing up there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so really what we're trying to do is is build build and simulate a digital twin of the real world, right? So something like that definitely can be useful for the military simulation industry, but you know, uh, many other markets as well uh, are, can utilize uh, these products and, and services. So a lot of the images that you're seeing here uh, from this main page are of the, the product that we call the One World SDK for Unity. So it gives you that, you know, something like a, a Google Maps feel, right, where you have uh, a, a view of the earth from, you know, from low to high altitudes, multiple levels of detail, you know, the ability to then through Unity add, you know, high detailed content insets. So yeah, it's a digital representation of the world um, that because it's in, it's in a, a well-supported game engine, you can then utilize capabilities like virtual and augmented reality headsets, um, you can deploy, you know, not just to a desktop, but to many other platforms, tablets, mobile phones, um, different um, different devices. Yeah, it's definitely, there are a lot of advantages to using commercial game engine technology uh, and then it combining with a tool like the Wombo SDK really, really increases the types of, of applications you can build uh, with a game engine like Unity. Uh, also, we have made the One World SDK for Unity publicly available and open source, so it's all on on GitHub now. And so anyone, I mean, anyone can download the source code and start uh, start running with it. Mm, I like that. Is there since we have the uh, website up, is there something else you'd like us to to showcase here? Since we were talking about your industries, I don't know. So there should be uh, under. Uh, products, a page for the One World SDK, and that will have the link to, yep. Okay. Yeah, click on that. That should then have the link at, at the bottom of the One World SDK community page to the GitHub site. Yeah, it's oh, taking a minute to load up there. Okay, looks mm -hmm. like it's there. Yeah, if you scroll down, let's, uh, let's see if that link is there. You want the video? Uh, the video is good too. I think that one is just showing a, a jet flying around. So in addition to just showing, you know, a worldwide base terrain and different types of 3D content on the globe for some of the military simulation customers we support as well as, you know, commercial aviation, there are particular communication standards that need to be supported with Unity in order to control things like the dynamics of how a jet would fly around the world, 
So there's a particular standard called the Common Image Generator Interface, or SIGI, that we that we use to control things like like entities and weather and time of day and, and, and visual effects. All right. So he had a question. This other question that Axel had is augmented reality or virtual reality. Which do you use and why, or is it both? Mm -hmm. Yes, so as a good, uh, as a company that follows the, the Lean Start methodology, we focus on uh, what our customer is asking for. And so we, we get a lot of interest in using, say, the One World SDK for Unity with virtual reality headsets far more than we do um, anything involving augmented reality. However, you know, it doesn't mean our customers may not you know, on their own, be trying to use this technology with different AR headsets. So this is not necessarily just for gamers. It's obviously for really training purposes. The type of videos that you had there were more for, I would think, training. Is it really games? Yeah, so the way I would think about it is we provide technology that gets our customers, say, 80% 80, 80 towards the, the final application they want to deploy, right? Our customers would be dealing with uh, specific requirements from the government uh, to meet very specified like training requirements. And that would imply that, that the visual system has to have certain uh, elements to it that we may not be providing in our, in our core product. So, Generally, to, to create a final training system, our customers will have to add their own uh, customizations to it. Uh, and we and they may do that on their own and we may support them uh, in those efforts. I'd say another thing. Oh, sorry. No, Hello. go ahead. Um, I was gonna say another thing is that, you know, when you have some of these companies that build like training systems, sometimes they can cost thousands of dollars. Whereas for what we have, we're using systems that already exist, you know, which game engines, Unity, Unreal, they're very powerful. We're using systems that already exist to be able to do, at least try to do what those really expensive training applications can do. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, this is someplace, one of my other companies, I'd like it to be able to share and, and you know, definitely not share, but jump into the pool here with you guys. So we have a game, Intro Pursuit game, it's on Steam, and we built ours in Unreal Engine, which is an Epic, mm -hmm. is the parent company there. And so I know Unity and, you know, Unreal Engine, they both have platforms that people can take advantage of to create the things that can be used in simulation training, as well as in the entertainment sector. Just good stuff to have there. But let's go ahead and talk about the mega grant since we're talking about games. You won a mega grant. Tell me about that. Yes, we did. Yeah, so last year we, yeah, we won a mega grant from Epic Games uh, to support uh, a method of bringing in um, geospatial data into the Unreal Engine. Um, so there's a particular uh, terrain and 3D model standard called CDB, 
at one point was was known as the common database format. So with our tools, you know, we make it really easy for our customers to take an existing CDB terrain database and import that content into the Unreal Editor. Uh, we've also extended that further for cases where our customers have like very large, you know, geospatial areas that they're that they're representing, where they can't, you know, fit all of that into an Unreal project, right? Uh, we allow them to stream that CDB data on the fly into the Unreal Engine, uh, and that would give you uh, the support for very large areas as well as the ability to, um, by using, you know, existing tools that they're already using to create the CDB CDB databases they don't have to re-export to some other intermediate format. They can go directly from their tool to CDB, then to Unreal uh, on the fly. Mm. Did you ever have to pivot? <laughs> Excellent question, Isabella. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, right, so when, it, so when I started the company, you know, I was very focused on just the, the military simulation industry, um, which is probably fine. You know, you want to have uh, an initial customer race that you want to support. Um, or if you've read any business book, business books that I refer to it as a, as a beachhead, right? So mm -hmm. we have some very good customers in the military simulation space. And uh, we've been thinking about, you know, how can this how can this core technology apply to other industries? So over the last, uh, late, last year, we've been successful in, in branching out into the autonomous vehicle uh, industry. Um, you know, you think about if you have a car on the road without a driver, um, there's, there, there's software behind that vehicle that's making, that's perceiving things and making decisions about, you know, what actions the car should take next. And uh, in order to reduce you know, errors and, and potential crashes on the road, that means you have to put those software algorithms through a tremendous amount of, of training and you know, many different types of environments. So you, know, you, you can create a simulation of you know, a car driving down the highway, and it's typically going to be experiencing almost all the time very similar situations there's a car next to me, there's a car in front of me, it's passing me, there are this many lanes, you know, it's daytime, it's nighttime, you know, but what happens when you get in a situation where, you know, someone else uh, on the road makes a mistake or they're not paying attention, all of a sudden, they, you know, they veer into your lane or you know, there's some type of vehicle you haven't seen before that's, that's entering the highway, you know, how, what is that going to do to the software algorithm? So you need not just a large volume of training data, but, you know, a, a very, very wide variety uh, of, of experiences and objects that would be seen, you know, as well as, you know, changing lighting conditions and weather conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not physically possible to capture all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, Luminar Tech, you know, they uh, have that same type of technology except in the vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. And it can detect, oh no, there's a deer that just ran across the road and it's driving, you know, rain and it's, or dead of night and you, you just didn't see it, but mm -hmm. car stops like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are many companies who recognize the need for, for a solution uh, to, to solve this problem. 
and yeah, it's a very it's a very hot area to be in. Whether you're on the the side of of creating the the physical sensors or the or the software that um, makes decisions uh, based on mm -hmm. the perception of the world. So. Yeah. That is truly amazing stuff there. Let's talk about ITSEC, the biggest conference that there is in the country, all built around simulation and training. And the big mm -hmm. industries that I see there are the defense industry, healthcare, surprisingly education, which makes me always wonder, where is it? I don't see it in the classroom. I've seen it with construction. I think that there's gonna be more people in sports showing up there, but ITSEC is typically that, um, government crowd is what we see. And you have been trying to get you to be a guest on this show for a while and pursuing you has been daunting. So you've been working on an article to get it published and also presented at ITSEC, which just so our listeners know is in November here in Orlando, Florida. Um, so how's that article going? I know you can't give away any secrets, but like what's going on? Yeah, ITSEC is, is a great, conference, right? They're just, you have all the big players there in the simulation industry. Uh, and you, sometimes you have to look hard, but you, you can find ways as a small business to, to get involved. So by being in the UCF incubation program, um, you know, there was one year where we got in, into ITSEC just as a use, as an incubator company. Uh, our, our, our first year as a company at ITSEC, we actually participated in a huge uh, demonstration on the ITSEC floor that in, involved like 45 different organizations, you know, where they where they showed a live virtual constructive simulation uh, over several days and uh, really trying to highlight, you know, all the issues that go into creating something, you know, of that scale. Um, so that was, that was a great event. That was called Operation Blended Warrior. Oh, yeah, I know that organization. They're a good one. Yeah, so that I think that went over like three or four years, and we were we we were in the on the tail end of that. But yeah, that that was a, a huge opportunity for us, really, because we didn't have you know anything when we started, right? We didn't have any of our own technology at that point, and it, and it gave us a chance to work with other vendors, you know, create uh, some initial solutions, and and test with uh, some government provided data, and uh, and network networks. Did Barbara um, go to any of those? Because like, how long has she been with you? So that was 2017 when we did uh, OBW and, and Barbara, you started uh, what, January 2020? Yep, I started in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. There was no ITSEC yeah. last year. So this will be her first year. Yeah. Yeah. You were asking about uh, our, our paper for this year, right? So we, we sort of got back in, in the back door, right? For one of the, one of the years we did a paper, but we didn't submit to IEDSEC. We submitted to ModSim World uh, and we won best paper uh, oh. that year at ModSim World. So that, that was great. Kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about, lessons learned from OBW, as well as what the capabilities are of commercial game engines and uh, how that can benefit you know, vendors and, and the overall simulation industry. Uh, what we're up to this year is I took a, a class um, in the spring semester at UCF called Hacking for Defense. Hmm. Um, Wait, is this which you paid money for a class with that title? Uh -huh. That is crazy. Yeah. They're teaching people yeah. to hack. Um, okay. Well, it's not 
referring to you know cybersecurity it's referring to how can you train students to understand how to work with the government so we so we had a real mix of uh, people in our class people who you know were just undergraduates without any industry experience all the way through you know phd level students and, and other people who were kind of working already at jobs and just kind of taking classes part-time right so our our class was split up into three teams and each team was able to work with, with the navy lvc uh, digital operations center uh, on you know a real world problem that the navy is facing uh, in the class they walk you through you know lean startup customer discovery you know, you're doing weekly you know presentations on what you learned and um and coming out of that, we uh, we submitted a an abstract to IEDSEC uh, about our problem and how we went about uh, researching it and, and talking with um, experts in the industry. And we are finishing up the, the paper now, which um, you know, hopefully will be accepted, but you know, we'll see. So that's pretty exciting. Well, we're going to take just a few seconds here to take a break and acknowledge our sponsor, and then we'll be right back for the second part of the show. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Okay, so we're back to our show. And it's about internships, so Barbara gets to come up on the seat here. All right, Barbara, Hello. tell us how you got started with SimBlocks. How did you meet Jordan? What is the uh, 411, as we'll use that old phrase? So how did it start? Um, well, I had a pretty interesting resume, but because of it, I was having actually a very hard time finding any sort of internship because everyone who wanted to hire me wanted to hire me for either customer service or just anything that had to do with honestly dealing with people. Because uh, what happened was that right when I got out of high school, I was hired immediately as percussion tech at St. Cloud High. So I was in charge of the front ensemble for marching band. I uh, did that for uh, one marching band season. Later on, uh, ended up working at AMC Theaters, downtown Disney. It's now called Disney Springs for six and a half years and at SeaWorld uh, Call Center uh, for four and a half years. You know, hi, thank you for calling SeaWorld and Bush Gardens. This is Barbara. How can I help you today? You know that. And um, well, um, I ended up leaving both of them in 2019. I left... AMC because of my school schedule, but I actually left SeaWorld because I was let go. The entire contact center got closed and outsourced. So all of us lost our jobs. So I was without anything and I was applying for so many internships. This was my second to last semester for school and I was applying it so much, but I was having such a hard time because of my resume all of my like coding experience and everything was within school. You know, I didn't have any outside experience because, you know, it's not like I did, because if you do, for example, like computer engineering, you'll have like that senior design course and you, it gets you exposure. Whereas I didn't have any outside exposure and I had skills and 
all sorts of things, but never was super specialized in one thing. I just had skills in so many different things. And, you know, when you have a lot of these, you know, places that I kept applying to trying to get internships, they're all like wanting you to have insane C++, C++ coding skills. Like they just want very specific, we want you for this. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little slower just because of disability. So, you know, but despite that, I just had such a hard time. And then back on, it, I think beginning of January, suddenly I got a message because I, uh, I had put my resume in, oh my gosh, I forgot what it was called. It was this thing for UCF. Um, handshake. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Handshake. I put my resume in Handshake and I applied at Simblocks back in September, I think, back in September or August. And then in January, I got a message uh, from Jordan saying, would you be interested in an internship? And I was so careful about like at the time, I'll be honest, I was so careful about my words. I was like, oh yes, I would love to, you know, but I was so desperate I was, like, <laughs> behind the scenes. I was like, play, uh, did the interview. Uh, I do remember at least I, I hope, I hope it was this, uh, cause I had a lot of experience with unity, not so much unreal, but I had a lot of experience with Unity, especially for one of the courses I took at UCF was, oh my goodness, uh, uh, artificial intelligence or AI for game programming. That was it. Uh, and the teacher, oh my gosh, he was, he was amazing. He's, I know he's the director at FIA. He, he was my professor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I'm kind of mad at myself. Uh, but he, he was amazing. I learned so much from him. So I ended up starting uh, like, middle of January at Simblocks uh, as a software development intern. And I just got thrown into everything. Here you go. I need you to learn all about One World SDK. I need you to learn all about this. And you have a week to learn it all. OK. <laughs> so I'd say the, the internship at Simblocks has been an amazing experience. And I actually have learned a lot. I, I feel like I've gotten more experience from this internship than anything I did at school. Oh, I agree I with I've you, Barbara. <laughs> I completely agree with you. Um, like kind of the same boat because uh, I actually found Enter Pursuit on Handshake as well. Nice. Yeah, so I found it, and she was like, I signed up for like six different interns, and she was the first one. Oh, I think I signed up for like thirty, and nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept getting turned down on everything, and then then I got so desperate. I started just applying things that, because I was studying programming. So I wanted to get a job and learn more programming, but I was so desperate. I even started applying to theater stuff again, just because I was so like, nobody would hire me, you know, but uh, I was- well, now It worked very, very into grateful. a paying job though. I was very grateful, yes. I was very, yeah. very grateful. That is super cool because that is the, Axel's in the same place, same major same yeah. thing he's trying to figure out. I said, mm -hmm. dude, you do not have the luxury. You have got to figure it out within this internship. So I that just graduated knows. too, so which I'm excited. I was happy yeah. graduated. Um, but so you you graduated so with interdisciplinary studies. What was your final project on? So I actually graduated in um in, in the business ad administration for um oh. I graduated in that field. It was just Learn, learn, learning basic skills of like finance, accounting, just, but er, er, everything was like combining like group projects. Mm -hmm. I had one um, for Capstone where we needed to learn about like a company, just share like 
all their reports. That was, that was like our final project. Ah, uh, for me, for my exit, uh, for interdisciplinary studies, because it pretty much had to do with, you know, she wanted us to find a controversial issue and try to solve it using interdisciplinary studies. Well, I ended up at, believe it or not, I brought up a 27 page paper I wrote. Wow. Um, on Final Fantasy 14, the, it was the, yep, people were like, what? Well, here's the thing, that game almost made Square Enix go bankrupt. And they had amazing, they have amazing director and producer. He's both director and producer. Uh, he goes by Yoshi P, but Nakia, uh, not, no, I can't, I can never say it, uh, Yoshida. Uh, San saved the game because they ended up something that would take four over four or five years he was able to accomplish in two years and eight months wow. with the stuff that he did and he something that was some so controversial of like this is impossible there's no way you can do this and he's like no we we can do this it was and everything he did, he got all sorts of departments involved in getting everybody to work together. Because what made it fail was that nobody was working together. You know, very famous story is that the literally a flower barrel had more polygons than an actual playable character. That 20 barrels would crash the game. Literally, it was a barrel. It was a barrel with flowers in it. They, when they were first designing this game over 10 years ago, they had, they literally, the barrel had like, I think it was 200 poly, it had more polygons than a playable character. So I have to move us on. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we're going to jump back in here. So we're going to blow through this one pretty quick. So what do you predict the future of simulation will be like five or 10 years from now? Because I definitely see it being used, obviously, more for training, whether it's sports, whether it's construction or any of those things where you know you need lots of land to try things out, you'll be able to do it in a more contained space, in a simulation space. But what do you think it's gonna be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you my, my first experience using uh, a virtual reality headset was like amazing, right? Because it, it allows you to really feel like you're no longer in the physical world, but um, now, now in this virtual environment, so we're going to be seeing, you know, headsets with higher, you know, higher resolution, um, so you can see more details uh, in that environment. Do you think that they'll be small, uh, manageable? I do. I, I think it'll even probably even be like contacts you can put in your eyes, something like that, or embedded in us. I don't know. I would have never thought of that. To be honest. Possibly, you know, there, like there's like this desire to have these systems do more right way less uh but you have to deal with this problem of how much power does it take to drive drive these things and you know no one wants to still also be attached to you know a desktop or some other power source while they're using it so you know there are these competing interests i've kind of learned too that when you do anything with the government it takes a really long time so, you know, even though you and I might have opportunities to work with some really cool technology and we think, yeah, this is, this is leading edge, you know, the process to go from that experiment that you might be doing in your office or some lab to actually being deployed and used by a large number of end users, you know, that takes years, <laughs> right? So you're probably gonna see, uh, you, you might see more 
I mean, there, there are obviously opportunities, um, you know, government funded programs where there's a lot of money flowing around uh, for these types of things. But whether we see these headsets adopted more for, you know, commercial applications or defense applications, I'm not sure which one's going to actually get there first. Mm, okay. Jumping over here just a little bit more. We have a couple of other questions, but job opportunities, when I was looking at what does that look like in simulation, it looks like it's all engineers and honestly um, programmers, but programmers are also engineers. There was a lot of growth across the spectrum, which was the highest one. The best opportunities were in cartography, you know, maps. And that was saying 15% growth. So the thing that you created with your game is going to be the hottest thing going out. Best mentoring advice that you want to pass on. What is it? Oh, okay. Let's go back to that one. I was thinking about an answer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're asking about cartography, uh, different, no, not cartography, but like, what are the, what are the fields, uh, yeah. or people that people should get into. Right. So I can say like, from my experience, um, there's, there, there's a huge amount of opportunity for students who really want to learn how to program and how to use technologies that, you know, they can get started on for free. You know, if you, look at game engines like Unity or Unreal or other sorts of you know, 3D content development tools. Like there's a huge amount of uh, need for people with those skill sets. And you know, they can certainly get jobs, you know, either in in the defense industry here in Orlando, but many other uh, markets can utilize those technologies, whether you're talking about gaming or you know, other other types of entertainment, movies. Um, I also... there's, a, there's tremendous adoption in those with those tools. Um... All right. Barbara, what's your best mentoring advice? Well, I was going to first add to what he said when it comes to all this, for example, because it's not just programming, for example, 3D modeling. We actually had an intern that, because I actually have 3D modeling experience from a while back. And so I ended up teaching her how to use the Unity animator. That's something, and she, she wasn't a programmer. The but the animator itself, I did actually teach her a little bit of code just to be able to control it from code. But a lot of it can be done just from a modeling uh, modeler's perspective without code. So there's a lot of stuff that can be done without like that programming. It just depends on what it is. But all of this stuff, it kind of ties in together. It's all these multiple disciplines that kind of just mesh together very well. Mm, Good add on. I'm glad you shared that. We're going to be welcoming another member of Jordan Dobble's team onto the Interim Whisperer, and his name is Danny Conradi. He is the senior programmer over there at SimBlocks, and we welcome you to the show. So, Danny, what do you think the simulation industry is going to look like five or ten years from now? I think you're going to see a lot more adoption of video game technology. I think that's, that's pretty inevitable. Um, both the big engines, Unreal and Unity, have been pushing a lot into different areas, expanding their market, adding support for the, the needs of the different sectors. So expanding into things like film and simulation, those kind of things. So I think it's just makes sense for them to expand and uh, slowly but surely like replace any of the existing systems with technology that's like off the shelf 
and has a lot of the capability that they need in simulation. I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a game and it's on Steam and it's built in Unreal Engine also. But our game is entertainment. And so in the okay. space of simulation, that's not entertainment. How do you define what simulation is and how it can be different from what uh, the average person, just so that they ha have a mm -hmm. definition? Yeah, so of course, what you're trying to do is instead of providing something that's entertaining, you're providing something that's trying to teach somebody something, practice some skills, like share information. So you have different goals, but you're still trying to do it in an interactive way and in a, even in a fun way sometimes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of simulation is, can be wearable, right? We can put on the goggles, we can put on gloves so we can interact with things. Do you think 10 years from now, it will go beyond that? It would be something embedded in our brain? The matrix, think the matrix. I mean, uh, I've heard about Neuralink and those kind of things. I don't know yeah. if we're ready for that yet. If I, uh, like one anecdote that I have is we went to um, see a famous futurist, I think Michio Kaku, who was speaking at Rollins College. And he came and he this incredible presentation about the future and how technology will basically disappear because it'll become so small and it'll just be integrated in everything and uh, after all of these like forward-thinking thoughts about everything he tried to show a video and it, like the system there couldn't play the video because they didn't have the right codec installed so <laughs> oh my God. it's kind of like there will always be these 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 hiccups so um maybe we should be limiting exactly how far we take these things in terms of implants so the idea that space of being able to experience it with all of the senses, I think it's gonna be the thing that simulation is truly replicating. I can see its use in war settings, but where else do you think that it's truly valuable? Because I think, you know, war uh, medics, you know, surgeries, things like that, firemen, police, I think it's helpful there. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting? Well, I mean, just, yeah, like simulation general training, um, work with people who do construction equipment. I mean, you don't oh, yeah. want to train people on like millions of dollars of worth of equipment. Like just put them on a, a, a small version first hooked up to a computer and they can train everything without destroying anything. So I think that also adds a lot of value. But don't you think mentally that you've already got a person in their head is going, okay, I know that I can't really hurt anything because I'm, it's a game. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. I think that there's that still a distinction between reality and how how close is the simulation? Yeah, I mean, you definitely approach it from a different perspective if you know it's not really real. But I think once you're in it for a while and if it's immersive enough and nothing that like like breaks the immersion, like you, you, you kind of get swept up in it and it's sort of it's very close to the, uh, the real thing. Mm -hmm. So why did you choose this as an industry that you wanted to be in? Well, I've always been interested in uh, video games, uh, but more in the technology behind it. So I would see a game and then I'd be interested in like, oh, so how do they do that technically? And that kind of led me down the path of developing technology for video games instead of the actual video games. I did start out with a few um, like simulation projects also, like uh, UAV kind of, or mining simulations, mm. and then we started a company in Germany with some friends and uh, developed a 3D engine. And then it was kind of a, a next logical step. We had customers interested in doing 3D, but then they had what we used to call serious game applications for it. So things like train simulations or 
construction equipment or even military simulations that were interested in using this more advanced kind of 3D graphics. So it was sort of a natural progression. And then I like eventually started uh, focusing specifically on the application of video games for simulation. Mm. I don't know if I asked that question of you earlier, Jordan. Why did you choose mm -hmm. simulation to get into? Yeah, back in college, I, you know, I went through the normal, you know, programming courses at Purdue, and then I'd taken a few courses on computer graphics, you know, uh, learning about 3D modeling and how to render these models through software and then and then through through acceleration. And I wanted, you know, then I needed to find a job. I was like, well, what can I do with this knowledge? So I came across a company called uh, Firearms Training Systems up in Atlanta. They have a number of different different simulators where they help, you know, say the Marine Corps or the Army or, or law enforcement learn how to use firearms where that they can hold and then and they might be seeing, you know, virtual entities on a screen that they're going to be interacting with. So there's a whole part of the system which is creating the virtual world that is shown to the trainees. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, thanks so much. I appreciate that you've been here. You've been a trooper. I know that uh, one of Jordan's tests for being able to get a raise is that you have to be able to think quickly. I'm just setting you up here, Danny. So <laughs> anyway, no, thank thanks so much. Yeah, I'm really glad I got to meet you too. I'm going to let Barbara share the website and, you know, the company email. I'm sure you have an info at stuff like that. So, so Barbara, how can people find this company? What is the website? How can uh, people find you on social channels? And then also, is there a company email? I know Jordan is also on LinkedIn. So people can look for Jordan Dobble, D-A-U-B-L-E is his last name. But what is the website? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, uh, gone doesn't mean you don't know the website. You've got to uh, simblocks.io. Uh, it looks like it's indeed. Okay, we have Facebook. There's uh, we have YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, GitHub. There um, you go. <laughs> That's exactly what you were with, supposed to share. Yeah. And what is, is there an email that is there like info at, how did you reach out and find them? How, like, how did I get recruited? Well, I know you said that you found them on Handshake, but I'm pretty sure you know that there's got to be an info at simblocks.io. Ah, um, I believe... <laughs> Well, yes, there is an info at simblocks.io for general questions. For product information, you can go to sales at simblocks.io. And then there is, if you do specifically want employment opportunities, that's going to be recruiting at simblocks.io. That is perfect. You did great. Well, I want to say thank you for being a guest on the show today and also to Jordan for being a guest. And this has been a good show. I expect it to be um, a lot of fun, especially right here at the end now that <laughs> poor Jordan, he left the room, so to speak. But yeah, yeah it's going to be very good.